Goldberg machine. If you've ever seen that, go online, you can look at them. A Rube Goldberg machine. And when we watch a video like this, many things come to mind. The, the creativity, the variety of parts, the unique functions, the, the sequence of action, the importance of each part, no matter how small that sequence is. It's a picture of many parts functioning as one team to achieve a goal. And if any one part is missing or malfunctions, it affects the whole. Well, there's another machine that we're all very familiar with. It, it has creative parts. It's different parts, each with a unique function requiring different sequences of action. And every part is very important, no matter its size or its perceived significance. And all the parts of this machine must function as a team in order to achieve its goals. If one part is missing, it affects the whole, and we call that machine the body, the body. Now since the days of Apostle Paul, we did not typically see uh, a Rube Goldberg machine. So he uses a machine that the Corinthian people are more familiar with, a physical body to illustrate and make some points. The human body, We're all, we all know about it. Every part of our physical body has a unique function. Every part is connected, every part belongs. And in the ancient church in Corinth, a community, a, a family, a body of believers, there are some misconceptions and misunderstandings about this particular body and this function. First, the people in this church did not know what the different members were gifted to do. They're all part of this body, this organization, this family, this church. They didn't all know what they were supposed to be doing. They didn't know how they should function in the context of this community. And much like today, everyone was just doing their own thing, just doing their own thing. Well, today we begin the examination of three chapters in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14. These are easily the most controversial and least understood and sometimes most abused of all parts of the New Testament. And for the next five Sundays, we are studying 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. Now, there's some things to keep in mind as we look at these. This, this is the setting in which we find them and the setting in which we find ourselves sometimes as well. First of all, there was a problem of disunity and factions in the Corinthian church. There was divisiveness and intolerance. Secondly, there was the elevation of the mystical experience. Now, Paul never puts down the mystical, but he always puts it in perspective. The, the key word is balance, balance. Then number three, there were, there were elevation of certain gifts as the demonstration of a higher spirituality. So if you had these, these kind of gifts, you were closer to God and you were more important than other people. That's how they felt. And then there was the elevation of knowledge or this elevation of the intellect. And against this background, Paul comes with a corrective. And this corrective is not an exhaustive look at spiritual gifts. For that, you need to take the network seminar, which we offer twice a year, that you can look at and discover a lot of those things. Today, we're gonna look at I belong. I belong. What does it mean to belong, to be part of this machine that we call the body? Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12, it's on page 931 in the Bible in the rack in front of you. 1 Corinthians 12 also be on the projection as well. We're gonna read the first 11 verses and then unpack it. 
1 Corinthians 12, 1. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagan, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of, Jesus, of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there's given through the Spirit, the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge. By, the message, by means of the same Spirit, to another faith. By the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing. By that one Spirit. To another miraculous powers. To another prophecy. To another distinguishing between spirits. To another speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still, uh, uh, still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of the one and same Spirit and he gives them to each one just as he determines. Now we're not, this morning, we aren't going to define s specific spiritual gifts. We're going to do that later, uh, later on in this, in this series. So, so when you look at all these, these gifts, we'll try to define them as closely as we understand today what they actually are. But I do want to give a definition of what a spiritual gift is, because we're going to be talking about spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12 will establish principles necessary for us to understand spiritual gifts. Now, I, I put this definition, it'll be on the, on the PowerPoint as well. Uh, the definition of a spiritual gift is, spiritual gifts are special abilities given by the Holy Spirit to every believer in the body of Christ according to God's design and grace for use within the context of the body. Let me repeat that. Spiritual gifts are special abilities given by the Holy Spirit to every believer in the body of Christ according to God's design and grace for use within the context of the body. And this passage gives us basically six principles for spiritual gifts. I wanna look at these principles for spiritual gifts as we unpack this passage today. Number one is be aware of spiritual gifts. First one, he says, I do not want you to be ignorant. In the New Living Translation, he says, for I must correct your misunderstandings about them. So a lot of misunderstanding about what was supposed to be happening. Now, the primary problem here was most certainly the abuse of a gift that was called tongues, or the elevation of tongues. Now, to understand this, uh, it was because of the Corinthian culture. In that day and age, people who were considered close to the divine or the gods had special endowments. These were part of the pagan religion uh, of the Corinthians. These endowments were usually manifested in trances, ecstatic speech, visions, mystic expressions, etc. And because the Corinthian people viewed these manifestations of, as signs of spirituality in their own pagan religions or cultures, it was natural that when the gift of tongues the real evidence by the real God, by the real Holy Spirit was given, then they elevated that as the sign or the ultimate evidence that a person was spiritual. That's the context. And Paul says, be aware of the spiritual gift, but first of all, letter A, be aware of the source. Be aware of the source. In verses two and three, Paul says that just because an inspirational utterance is in tongues does not mean that it's spiritual. The true test is whether or not it upholds the basic confession of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Does it point to Jesus? Is it, is it just uh, an utterance or is it something that upholds the Lordship of Jesus? 
He says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. See, tongues had been part of the pagan idol worship, counterfeit, or even sometimes demonic in nature. And people who are pagan or worship false gods, even Satan, sometimes speak in tongues, okay? Just speaking in an ecstatic utterance does not mean it is from God the Holy Spirit. The question is, how do we validate this tongue? It has to be attested by the confession that Jesus is Lord, okay? That was the thing. There was a confusion back then. Now, this, this will come clear as we go through this. So if you're going, what is this thing about tongues? We'll, we'll talk more about that. Okay. Pentecostal scholar, Gordon Fee, who's also with the Assemblies of God, writes, the presence of the Spirit in power and gifts makes it easy for God's people to think of the power and gifts as the real evidence of the Spirit's presence. In other words, if, if you have this stuff going on, it must be the Holy Spirit. He says, not so for Paul. He said, the ultimate criterion of the Spirit's act activity is the exaltation of Jesus as Lord. Whatever takes away from that, even if they be legitimate expressions of the Spirit, begins to move away from Christ to a more pagan fascination with the spiritual activity as an end in itself. Some people get fascinated by what they think is this, this great utterance or whatever, and it never glorifies Jesus or points to Jesus. That's his, that's his litmus test. Does it point to Jesus? And this can happen even in a setting where there's a preoccupation with the Holy Spirit to exclusion of Jesus, okay? It's gotta be a balance. Balance is a key word. And this, so this problem came from the Corinthian pagan background. Now we'll talk more about tongues and prophecy when we get to chapter 14. And let me just say this. I believe and we believe as a church that all the gifts are in operation today. And we'll talk about how that works its way out in the health and function of the body as we go through the next five Sundays. So be aware of the source. Is this gift from God? 1 John 4, 1 says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. See, inspired utterances are not evidence enough of the Holy Spirit. Do they lift up Jesus as Lord? Is it Christocentric? Is Jesus the center? That's the question. So be aware of the source. Also, letter B, be aware of self. What spiritual gifts do I have? Some of you are well aware of the spiritual gifts you have. Some are going, I don't know what you're talking about. This is all new to me. That's okay. That's why we're talking about this. This says, I do not want you to be, I want you to know. It's, it's not an option. It's a biblical mandate to discover what spiritual gifts, what, what is my function to be in the body or in that Rube Goldberg, whatever that is. Okay. Letter C, be aware of others and their gifts. Being aware of other people's gifts helps us understand how we all function and work together. When our body functions in, in a proper manner, we understand how everything works. And being aware of the different body parts helps us understand our, our function in the body. And letter D, be aware of how we interrelate. Be aware of how we inter interrelate. Now, there's an there's a animal story. It's from the network uh, by Bruce Bugby and Dan Cousins. And it goes like this. Once upon a time, or so it is told, all the animals got together to start a school. There were four courses in the school. There was swimming, running, flying, and climbing. The first four students enrolled were a duck, a rabbit, a squirrel, and an eagle. The duck was great at swimming, flew pretty well, but was very slow at running and had a very difficult time climbing, especially trees. The final exam required efficiency in all four events. 
By the time the duck finished the climbing and running events, his web feet were so sore and worn out that he did terrible at swimming and only okay at flying. The rabbit, who was typically great at running, developed tendinitis from his swimming workouts. He couldn't climb a tree at all and ended up doing poorly in his best event, running. The squirrel, usually great at climbing, injured his ankles on the rough landings trying to fly, therefore compromising his ability to compete in the climbing event. The eagle was great at flying but was disqualified in the climbing event for insisting on climbing in her own way. Get the picture? Four totally different animals, four different gifts or strengths, and they were all trying to do something they were not gifted for. And they were forced into mediocrity or downright non-performance. See, we must be aware of self, we must be aware of others, and how we interrelate. In the church of Jesus Christ, we've all been given different gifts. All of us have different gifts. The problem is we, we fail to recognize the diversity and the unique strengths of ourselves and others, how to work together. Many times we try to do things we're not gifted for. And instead of flying like an eagle, we run like a duck. It's not a pretty picture. I just thought I'd throw that out. I'll never forget um, when we were, we were in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, back in the, in the mid-80s, and there was a young, brand-new Christian named Ben. I'll call him Ben. And our pastor had just preached a message about giftings and the importance of getting connected and involved. I was the minister of music at that time, and, and Ben came up to me the very next Sunday, all excited about the challenge. He wanted to get involved. He wanted to sing in the choir. Now, for those of you who don't know what a choir is, it's like a big worship team, a bunch of people. Just, we don't have a lot of those in church, but it was a choir. We had a big choir back then, a group of people singing. Well, I required an audition for choir to determine what part they should sing and if they actually could sing. So I auditioned Ben. Ben could not only not sing, he was utterly and totally tone deaf. Okay? He was not gifted in singing. Okay, now, I, I could have spared Ben's feelings and allowed him into the choir to run like a duck, frustrate all the other members, or I could be honest and I could redirect him. I know it's surprising, but I chose to be honest. I was honest with Ben, and I told him, I knew he had gifts, I just said singing is not one of them. Well, he was, he was, he was really disappointed because he, he was really enthused about this. So I told him, I said, keep looking. I said, keep looking, pray about it, take some time. Two months later, Ben came literally bounding into my office, just ecstatic. He had started working with a youth pastor and working with junior high kids, and he loved working with junior high kids. Well, you know, that's a unique gift, junior high kids. <laughs> he loved working with junior high kids. He found his, his niche, his area of passion. Now, if I had let him run like a duck, he'd have never found his place to fly like an eagle. And so one of the responsibilities that we have as leadership is helping people discover their giftings. Be aware of spiritual gifts, how we interrelate. Now, let me give you an illustration. Let's say there are three people in here that have a passion for children. In other words, if there's anything that you wanna make a difference in, it's in the lives of children. And three people wanna do it. They have the same passion, which is children, but they have three different gifts. One has the gift of leadership, one has the gift of administration, one has the gift of helps, okay? Same passion, children, 
Three different types of gifts. The, the one that has the leadership is probably going to be the upfront person helping them lead worship and, and directing and doing all those things because they have the gift of leadership. They're directive. The administrative gift probably is organizing, ordering curriculum, scheduling events, doing the planning, and helping in that way. The gift of helps would be terrified to be at front of all those kids, but loves being in the background, helping with kids, helping them do their crafts, moving them here and there, taking them to the restroom, whatever it is. Gift of helps. You see, same passion of working with children, three different gifts. Absolutely critical and valid for every area of ministry that we have. Different gifts. Same passion. And no one's running like a duck. That's what's amazing. Principle number two. Principle number two. There are a variety of spiritual gifts. There are a variety of spiritual gifts. Verse four of the three says, there are different kinds of gifts, same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God who works all of them and all men. Now, the easiest way for me to understand this concept is athletics. And it can be any, any type of sport. You take volleyball, you have diggers and you have spotters and you have spikers. Variety of gifts, different functions. In basketball, you have the point guard, the shooting guard, small forward, power forward, you have the center. Variety of gifts and different functions. You have ball handlers and outside shooters, inside shooters, rebounders, defense, off. you have all these parts people are gifted for and you put them in their position. Variety of gifts, different functions. What about baseball? The Brewers are really hot today. They're doing great. You have pitchers and catchers who call the signals. You have different skills than the first baseman, outfielders, a hitter. Some hit long ball, short ball, whatever. Base runners, coaches that are batting, pitching, conditioning, etc. A variety of gifts, different functions. Let's get artistic. What about a symphony orchestra? You have strings and, and woodwinds and brass and percussion. Variety of gifts, different functions. It's the same with the body of Christ, the church. There are a great variety of gifts in different functions. There's, there's diversity, and diversity has its roots in God himself. He's an incredibly diverse God. He has a community called the Trinity. So letter A, we have different kinds of gifts, the same spirit. Different kinds of gifts, it's the same spirit. No confusion or chaos, there's, there's harmony. Letter B, there's different kinds of service. The same Lord. We talk about serving and being in, involved in serving because we can't just come and, and in, partake and just take in. We are all called to serve and engage. Now let me just say, your, your gift may not be inside this building, it may be out there, okay? So don't, don't put it in a box and say, oh no, I gotta do something in here. Your gift may be something out there. Jesus is Lord. All our gifts are expressed in different ministries and acts of service, but co coordinated by the Lord Jesus. And let us see different kinds of effects or workings, the same God. Different outcomes, different results, and God is responsible for that. It's the Spirit who works these things out. So there are a variety of gifts. Principle number three, everyone has at least one spiritual gift. Everyone has at least one spiritual gift. Verse seven says, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Everybody has at least one. Now most people have more than one, but at least one. There's at least one. Each one, and it stresses diversity and the manifestation of the Spirit. It talks about that we, we can tell when God's doing something supernatural. The emphasis is not on the gift itself, but on the manifestation or the disclosure that the Spirit of God is active in their midst. In other words, you can tell you can tell that 
it's supernatural that God is doing it. This is different from talents and abilities. God uses talents and other abilities. But basically we're talking about God taking people and doing supernatural things so that it's beyond our explanation of how it's effective, how it's making a difference. It's not that each person is gifted as much as the Spirit of God is manifested in a great variety of ways through us. And God, God himself will manifest himself through you. There's nothing more exciting than to realize that God is using, is using you. God, God, the God of the universe created me to do something. He's, he's doing something through me, supernatural. It's amazing. And the emphasis is not my gift, but it's the Spirit's activity, what God does through you. God's work, not my gift. Chafin writes, some of the gifts were quite spectacular, and those who possessed them had a tendency to be proud. <laughs> those gifts that were exercised in context of worship gave high visibility and prominence to those who possessed them, and it is easy to see, knowing the very human tendency to put self forward, how these individuals might begin to think that they were more important than others, okay? And there were spiritual gifts that were being exercised in the Corinthian church, and they were elevating themselves and feeling proud. No question about it. On the other hand, some of the members are given gifts that were exercised in less dramatic ways, in a servant role, for example. And it's easy to see how, because of the quiet, unseen way in which they did their part, they thought they were not important at all. Yeah. See, the focus is not our gift. It's the Spirit's work. There's no room for pride. It's not look at my gift. It's look at what God is doing. When the body of Christ functions properly, people see results. They see the actions and they say, I want to be part of that. I want to be part of that. The question is when people see Eau Claire Wesleyan Church and Eau Claire Wesleyan Church, you may be at the gym, you may be at the grocery store, the gas station, at the school, at the university, wherever you are, you're, you are part of the body of Eau Claire Wesleyan. Do they, do they say, wow, I'd like to be part of that. I'd like to be part of that. They will say, I want to belong. I want to belong. Principle number four, all spiritual gifts are for the common good. The common good. In verse seven, we read, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. The gifts are not for the benefit of each individual believer, but for the good and health of the whole community. And that runs counter to our, our uh, narcissistic, individualistic culture. It's for the common good. Manfred Brauck says in the Hard Sayings of Paul, says the core issue here is the glorification of tongues in such a way that the other gifts as well as those who possess them were minimized and we'll see that as we move forward. The question we must ask is how does this gift, the gift that I have, contribute to the body? Salvation, bringing others to Christ, strengthening of others, or is it just to edify me or, the, or for the good of all? Christianity brings to each of us a lot and a lot of blessings, but the purpose of our faith and our walk is not to see how much we can get, but to see how much we can give, how much we can give. Does my gift benefit others, the common good? Now, I, I just put, put some abuses to guard against in here. I just want to talk for just a minute about that because a lot of times these are things that we practice and not, not on purpose, but they end up being abuses of the spiritual gifts. The first one is projection. Projection. 
which is projecting our spiritual gifts upon others and expecting them to serve as effectively as we do in similar, similar situations. So, so if you have the gift of mercy, and you say, if you were really spiritual, you'd be down at the food bank and you'd be at the clothing place, you'd be doing exactly what I'm doing. Or if you were really spiritual, you'd have my gift of evangelism and you would be sharing your faith everywhere. In fact, when you fly somewhere, you get a middle seat so you have a shot at sharing your faith with two different people on every flight. Okay? Now, some people do that. They have a gift of evangelism. They, if I project that on you, that's saying, you need to be like me. No, we, we shouldn't. And we ought to know and be glad that God has given us the gift, but don't project that on other people. Projection. The second one is glorification. Holding our gifts is more important than other people's gifts and expecting to be treated as exceptions rather than examples. And there, it ends up being a real myopic type of, of, of a way to approach church. And I see whole churches in this whole one-dimensional thing. We glorify certain gifts. And so if, if, the, if the pastor has a gift of evangelism, then everything is about evangelism. Well, we ought to all have evangelism, but where it's mercy, or there's a teaching church, it's all about teaching. There's tongues and prophecy, or there's a healing, or there's a deliverance church, or there's a, you know, you look at all the different churches, and is there a specific em emphasis that they glorify, and so they say that's more important. That's when I, when I talk about the church that never was, I talk about the fact that, that all these churches were in a different paradigm, very very narrow in their focus when we want to be the church that can be, which is a balance of all the spiritual gifts. Not just one or two, but all the spiritual gifts. Number three, isolation. Using our spiritual gifts for personal satisfaction or gain instead of the common good. It's all about me. Then there's suppression. Suppressing the expression of our spiritual gifts because we doubt their validity, need, or impact. And that's, a, that's something we do. We kind of minimize and say, well, I, I don't, I'm really not that important, you know. My spleen really isn't that important. My appendix, I can get along without an appendix. Or uh, my heart is really more important than my stomach. Or, you know, you can play that game and say, well, uh, I'm just going to suppress the validity of mine. Or pride, number five, taking credit for the results of our gifts instead of giving glory to God. And uh, very... Very clear, that was happening in the Corinthian church. Principle number five, God decides the spiritual gifts we receive. God decides the spiritual gifts we receive. Verse 11 says, all these are the work of one and the same spirit. He gives them to each one just as he determines. God, the Holy Spirit, gives these gifts to us just as he determines. Have you ever wished you had a gift someone else had? <laughs> You ever wish, well, I, I wish I had that gift? It's natural. We admire some person. We love how God uses them. And, but we must realize that God chooses and God decides. I don't. God decides many things in our life that are out of our control. He decides our parents, our place of birth, our physical characteristics, our DNA. God has wired each one of us to do something unique for him. And if you're not sure about that, go read Psalm 139. Psalm 139, an incredible, it's my favorite psalm of all time. Psalm 139 talks about how God wove each one of us together in our mother's womb before he, he knew what we were going to be, he knew our characteristics, he created our DNA. All of those things, so, so important that we understand our uniqueness. 
our uniqueness. God decides, God decides. Now one of the things historically that, and in some circles and in, in the church here, um, they put one particular gift on the pedestal and that was tongues. And I already talked about the reason they did that. And, and, and it happens in churches in America too. People lay hands on them, they weep, they prompt, they say, just say these words, um, because they really believe that tongues are the, is the evidence of spirituality. It's not. Some of the most godly, spirit-filled people I know have never spoken in tongues. And some of the people that speak in tongues are the most ungodly, unrighteous people I've ever known, okay? And that is not an indication of spirituality. The Corinthian mistake, also prevalent today, is that tongues is the evidence of spirituality, it's not. Is it valid? Yes. Is it part of the gift mix? Yes. But it is not the evidence of spirituality. And we don't choose our gifts, God does. Some believe that tongues is a gift everyone can have if they want, I disagree. And we'll, we'll talk more about that at the end of chapter 12 and 14, we'll get to this. We must be very careful not to manipulate and try to do God's work for him, even if we could. And I don't know if you've ever been in a service where, where uh, you've been called forward and says, come forward and we'll lay hands on you and we'll give you the gift of tongues. God will give you the gift of tongues. I've never been in a service where the preacher called people down to the altar to receive, why don't you come down and we're gonna give you the gift of helps or the gift of evangelism or the gift of whatever. No, it's always one gift. Uh, we have to be very careful. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about and that's okay, that's probably good. <laughs> Now, Paul never demeans tongues. He never demeans tongues. He just corrects the elevation of tongues. God chooses. God chooses. Okay, the sixth principle, and, and this will all become clear, the, especially when we get to chapter 14. It's pretty, pretty interesting when we get to chapter 14. We'll look at this in detail. You'll know everything by the time we're done, right? Yeah, right, okay. Number six, the Holy Spirit empowers all the spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit empowers all the spiritual gifts. Verse 11 says, all these are the work of the one and same Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the source of power. Now, in the quest for balance, we must not de-emphasize the power of the Spirit. We cannot operate in the ordinary when God the Holy Spirit intends us to operate in the extraordinary. It's like we can do church whether God shows up or not. That's why we sing, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. We need you here. We desire you here. We desperately need the Holy Spirit to be present. Gordon Fee writes, perhaps the greater tragedy for the church is that it should have lost such touch with the Spirit of God in its ongoing life that it should settle for what is only ordinary and thus feel the urgency to justify it in this way. The hope is that the one and same Spirit will do what he pleases. That we would be open to the extraordinary. We'd be open to the fact that God operates outside the box and recognize it as such and be hungry for that instead of just saying we're gonna plod along with the ordinary. We need God, the Holy Spirit. God, what is it that you want to do? It might even get weird at times, 
but you know, we try to say, I'm gonna stay in control. Well, sometimes when God does his thing, he, he's in control, not us. It's much better. I discovered a long time ago, it's much better that he be God than me. It's he's God. I belong. Be aware. There are a variety. Everyone has at least one spiritual gift. All spiritual gifts are the common good. God decides the spiritual gifts we receive. The Holy Spirit empowers them. Next Sunday, we're going to look at the rest of chapter 12 and the definitions of the various spiritual gifts. And I hope that this will be something that just brings life to you. And if you have any questions about this, we're uh, about twice a year we do a network seminar. We'll talk about that later. But, but basically discovering our, your place, where do I belong? Where in that, in that body, in that function do I function? What is my role? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we belong. And I just pray, Lord Jesus, that you would continue to lead us and guide us in this whole process, God, that you, by your grace, would speak to us and that we would discover, this will be a discovery process, sometime may take some time, but that you would help us to understand that and that we know with all of this that the one thing that remains always is your love. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.